0: I don't know what kind of week you guys have had this week. Um, I'm sure there's some people here that have had, well, in fact, I know there's some people here because I've just been chatting to some of them that have had a fantastic cruisy week. Um, uh, coming off holidays, just relaxing, feeling great, and had a fantastic week. I hope some of you have had amazing weeks with God and um, you just feel uplifted and blessed and encouraged all week. Um, others are probably on the other end of the spectrum where they've had a really, really full on week. Um, I know personally, uh, amidst other things, Bennett and I were leaving at somewhere between, well the first morning we left at 6.15 and the second morning at 6.30 and it gradually got later, but um, we were travelling to and from college for a couple of days this week and so we were leaving before the sun was up and coming home after the sun was set, Um, and that's a huge week for someone who likes sleep, that's a huge week, Um, and all of us have had different weeks, but I was thinking about this week and thinking about my week and Thinking as I came here today that the beauty, the beauty of God's Word is it really doesn't matter what kind of week you've had, it doesn't matter what kind of background you've had, it, it doesn't matter, it's just something that we can all come to and we can all rest in and we can still listen to God's grace through. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited about that. I've had one of the craziest weeks I've ever had and I'm excited because it's still God's Word. It doesn't matter what the week's been like. Uh, and I'm even more excited because it's Jonah. Just out of curiosity, how many people have read Jonah? Okay, how many people know anything about Jonah outside of the fact he was followed by a fish? A few? Yeah. Um, when you think about Jonah, you go, oh my gosh, that's the guy that was followed by a fish. Uh, and then you get the, uh, yeah, that, that's about it. Most people you go, Jonah, fish. The two are um, pretty changeable, like that's it. Uh, the beautiful thing about Jonah is there's so much more than him being followed by a fish, and in fact tonight you're not even going to hear much about the fish. You have to wait all the way to the end. Uh, so a bit of a spoiler alert, there is a fish, but there's lots of stuff that happens first. Um, so this is, this is week four, and uh, this is week one of four of Jonah, um, so let's kick into it. We're doing week one, the Jonah and all of us. We're, re- we're working from the first chapter of Jonah. And I'm going to be really, really mean and say, you guys should go home and read it. I'm going to pull out some key points today. But it's a cool chapter. There is so much in that chapter. And I'm not going to read it all because there's so much we can pull out anyways. So go home and read it. Uh, if you like to double check stuff and you like to have a full context of it, I recommend you have a pen and paper today because I'm going to put up... Lots of verses, and we're not going to spend tons of time in each verse. So if you want to grab it and then have a look later on, I recommend that, because there's lots of great stuff. All right, so we're doing the Jonah in each of us. Now, um, let me let me go back. Yeah, we'll, go to that, we'll go to that in a second. Um, Jonah Jonah is set uh, back in one of the prophets. Jonah, I don't know how much you guys know about Jonah. He's, he was a prophet. He was... One of these cool prophets that went, I don't think so, God, give that gift to someone else. I don't want anything to do with that. Jonah did lots of great stuff, but we know of him from this story. We know that he didn't want to be a prophet. He's known as the reluctant prophet. And um, why was he reluctant? Uh, Jonah had to go to Nineveh. Uh, I researched Nineveh this week. They weren't very nice people. So one of the, the ways that Nineveh would um, treat their victims after they went through, so they were part of the Assyrian kingdom, it was the capital of Assyria, and they would they would go into a town and they would kill everyone I won't I read it and it's, it's actually too graphic for me to describe what they were doing, particularly to the, the children and the women, but with the men, they would catch them, and rather than killing them on the spot they'd make them sit and watch as they desecrated their town and as they did horrific things to their families. Then they'd skin them alive and that, that wasn't it. It wasn't just skin them alive and leave them. They'd skin them alive and they'd dig a hole out in the desert and bury them up to their necks. So, th- can you think of how much that hurts? I, I, I don't like sand in between my toes when I have skin. Right? I carry on like a little child when I get sand on me. These guys... That would have hurt. And that was the kind of people that lived in Nineveh. And God said to Jonah, Hey Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, I don't think so. God, do you understand what the Ninevites do? So when they conquer a town and they're finished doing these horrific things, they then build temple, they then build pyramids out of the skulls of the victims and leave them outside. Now this, this isn't a uh, Assyrian kingdom. This is actually in Cambodia. Um, a similar mindset though, so this is in the, the Temple of the Skulls, but this is this is what the Minervites would do. Pyramids like this of beheaded people that would eventually just become skulls, and that was how they would say, this is our kingdom, we've conquered this town. So it got to the point where if you heard that Assyria was coming to conquer you, then you would go and kill yourself first. So often, when the Assyrian the Assyrian army would come in, everyone would already be dead because the town knew it was safer to commit suicide than wait for them to get there. And here's little Jonah, who, out of everyone, the Assyrians really did not like the Israelites. And here's little Jonah, an Israelite, saying, Ah, oh, yeah, God, I really don't want to go and share that message. That's not going to end well for me. But... The, the thing is, when we hear that story, and when I first heard that story, I went, Jonah said, I don't want to go there because I was in fear of my life. Then I started looking into what his message actually was. And, you know, Jonah didn't want to not go to Nineveh because he was afraid of his life. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew that if they repented, God would save them. And he went, no, I want them to have their just deserts." That's, that's pretty fair. Uh, but Jonah had a special message. He was there to deliver hope. So the, the name of Jonah means hope. And as you've seen, we're talking about the Jonah in each of us. And I don't know if we we have anyone with, anyone with a middle name Hope here, there's no one with a first name Hope, but no one with a middle name. The youngest blacker, her middle name, uh, sorry, the middle blacker, Ava, her middle name is Hope. And she, she brings hope, she brings life. Jonah was supposed to bring hope. As Christians, we are supposed to bring hope. That's part of our name. We're supposed to be followers of Christ who was bringing hope. So we are, in essence, named with Jonah. We are named to bring hope. And he was named to bring hope to everyone, the worst of the worst, as are we. So with that mindset, with that picture of Jonah, let's enter into what it says. The first point I want you guys to think about is God will often ask you to do what you don't want to do. That's pretty clear with Jonah. He did not want to go to Nineveh, but God was very, very abrupt about it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Uh, I, don't, I don't quite understand how it's just come up because God sees everything and you know, it's not like he's going through his calendar going, oh, I missed that one, we probably need to deal with that. He's seen it happening. It had been coming, it had been building, it had been building and God said, all right, enough is enough. I need to step in here. And we need to tell them this isn't okay. And so Jonah gets this message. And he says, no, thank you. I don't want anything to do with that. Um, but what we have to understand is this message, this message is more. So one of the special things about Jonah is, I just spent a week, as I said, at college, we looked at all the prophets in that week, or we looked at most of the prophets in that week. There are two special and different prophets when we read through, there's only two that are sent to people that are not Israelites. Generally, the prophets were a message of hope for the Israel people, or they were a message of, you need to repent for the Israel people. Jonah is not sent to an Israelite nation. He is sent to the enemies of the Israelite nation. And that's a really cool important point, especially for us today, because we are not sent just to Christians to say, hey, you're doing something wrong, you need to shake up. We are sent to the whole world we are sent to give hope to the whole world and if our hearts are aligned with God that's what we want to do if Jonah's heart was aligned with God he would have remembered this promise that was given back to his ancestor the very father of the the Israeli nation and it is I will make you a great nation I will bless you I will make your name great and you will be a blessing if you keep reading through It goes, so he will bless those who bless you, I will curse who who curses you, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. Israel had a specific duty. They were called to be a blessing to everyone. Now, if they had their heart attuned with God, they wanted to be a blessing for everyone. That That included, those in Assyria, that included the people in Nineveh. And so here's Jonah going, right, he knows this. He would, have, he would have learned this. He would have known all about this. And he goes, I oh no, I don't want a heart that follows good. I don't want to go and be a blessing to everyone. And how easy is that in our life? How often do we find ourselves standing there with someone and, and have a think, there's that one person that just really gets under your skin, and they just make it cruel. Maybe, maybe it's that person at school That is just always causing trouble and you always get the blame for it. They're the ones that are throwing the paper airplanes or the teachers back and they always look sweet and innocent and the teacher looks at you. And you know that you're gonna get it. Or maybe it's that kid on the playground that's been bullying you since you were in kindergarten. Maybe it's the person maybe it's your boss in the workplace who goes out of their way to make your life difficult. Or maybe it's that that teacher. That you just know, I, we had a couple of teachers that uh, some of my friends, before they would even walk into the class, they would just go, "Get out! I don't want you here." Uh, my friends, you know, they were they were pains, but they weren't that painful. It was just these teachers decided they didn't like them. But God's message of hope is for them, and it's so easy for us to go, "I don't want, I don't want to be part of that message. I don't want to share with them because I want them to suffer the way that they've made me suffer." But this is, this is the message for the Israel nation. And this is our message now as Christians. We are called to be a blessing to everyone. Everyone. So um, anyone who knows the story of Jonah goes, knows that Jonah gets this message. And he now has a choice. He can choose to be uh, a faithful prophet and go and deliver the message of hope, as his name suggests, Or he can choose to run the other way. And what does Jonah do? He jumps on the first boat going the opposite direction. So my second point for tonight is that you will always find a boat going the wrong way. And I I spent a bit of time thinking about this. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have um, been in a situation where God's called you to do something. It's very easy to make that decision. The Bible makes it clear what Jonah does. So Jonah ran away from the Lord. It's probably not a smart move. Later on in the book, we hear Jonah say, yeah, my God made the heaven and the sea. Probably you can't run very far from him. We're trapped in between heaven and sea. That's it. We've got nowhere else to go. If God's made both of them, there's nowhere to go. But he ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship down to that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarish to flee from the Lord. And that sounds easy. I, I don't know. As I said, I don't know how many of you guys have been in a situation where God said, go and do this. Maybe, maybe it's that he's called you to go somewhere. Maybe he's called you to move schools. Maybe he's called your family to move towns. Maybe he's called you to change jobs. Or maybe it's something simple. Maybe he's called you to go and socialize with a new group of people. Maybe he's called you to go to that birthday party of a kid where you know no one else is going to because no one really likes them but he's called you to go and befriend them and turn up for them. Maybe he's called you to start assisting the community in some way, and you go, uh, no, I've got other things to do. I can't do that. Well, I have those moments in my life. Uh, I, had a, I had an opportunity from God where he said, I want you to do this. And I said, no. And he said, to do that, you need to stay put in Blackheath. This was a couple of years ago now. And I said, uh, no, that's Okay. And then sure enough, the next day, I got an email from a friend saying, hey, America's looking for volunteers. Do you want to go for a year? And I said, of course I do. Because God wants me here and I don't want to do what he's calling me to do. So I'll jump on that. I don't have a boat anymore. I'm going to catch a plane. But I'm going to jump on that first plane and go to America. Uh, needless to say, I'm still here. God sent some storms and we're going to learn about them in a sec. God sent some storms to keep me here. But Jonah, Jonah did that. He tried to flee. And you guys have probably tried to flee at times as well. There's another way, though, that we end up on that boat. Sometimes it is the deliberate act. We jump on and we run. There's no denying that. When you look at that point in your life, you go, I knew what I was doing. I was consciously running away from God. But sometimes we subconsciously run away from God as well. We just let our lives get busy. We start going, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know I need to meet. I know I need to go to church and meet up with Christians who... Are going to feed an input into my life, but oh, I'm just really busy this week. Oh yeah, yeah, and next week I have to do that assignment. Oh, and yeah, yeah the week after that, I'm going to go the week after that, and then the week after that arrives, and you go, oh no, 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 I have had a family event all day today. I'm just too tired. And it's it slowly starts. You you look back and you go, ah, oh, it's it's been months Or you start going, I'm going to I'm going to read my Bible every day, and you, if you're into it, then you get really into it. But very quickly you go, oh, something comes up. I'm just tired, I'm just going to sleep in today and not read my Bible. I'm going to... I know I've got to do an assignment. Assignments are always a good excuse to not spend time with God. I don't know how many of you guys have realised that in study, but all of a sudden, the only thing that is a better thing to procrastinate from than assignments is God. It's like the only time to actually clean your house is when you're doing assignments. The only time to actually spend time with God is when... uh, uh, The only time to actually do assignments is when you have to spend time with God. And that seems to be a very backwards priority. And as soon as we start doing that, we drift. And before long, we, we find ourselves on this boat, and we look around, and we know we should be back there, but we don't know how to get back anymore, because the gap keeps widening and widening and widening. And sometimes we need hope. Sometimes we need help. Sometimes we just need to start taking that one step back and go, you know what? I drifted because I didn't. I stopped spending time with Christian. So." Next week, no matter how hard it is, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to meet up with my Christian friends. I'm going to set my alarm 20 minutes earlier and spend just 20 minutes in God's Word. I'm going to set my alarm for the same time every day for a reminder just to stop and pray and thank God for what He's done. And it's, it's about slowly drifting back. Slowly drifting back. Uh, however... If you are choosing to run the other way, sometimes it takes a little bit more to come back. Sometimes to to do it subconsciously, you've got to then consciously choose to step back. If you're doing it consciously, then you have to fight that conscious thought, thought first. And let me tell you, if God gives you an opportunity, Satan is always going to give you an excuse. There will always be a boat there. But what you have to choose is whether you're going to be on that boat or whether you are going to stand your ground. Because you will find yourself without realising at the port, looking at that boat, and it is going to look appealing. Satan is not calling you on board because he wants what's best for you. He's calling you on board because he knows that God wants what's best for you. And sometimes it is that God wants to love this person through you. And that blessing will come on your life. To be able to share God's love is always a blessing. But God wants you to do that. God wants you to take that step. He's not about forcing you. He's not that fortune. He doesn't force Jonah. He gives Jonah lots of opportunities before he puts Jonah in a situation where he goes, "You make your call, but the consequences are yours." God isn't going to force you, but that boat will always be there to tempt you. So after after God has sent a storm, uh, after God has uh, given you your opportunity, after Satan has sent his boat, often you'll find yourself on that boat cruising the wrong direction, and sometimes God needs to wake us up, to remind us. And so what does he do to Jonah? Oh, Sorry, we'll just hit that. What does he do to Jonah? He sends a storm. Right. Jesus loves storms. I love storms in the Bible. So I always think of three great storms in the Bible. The first one I think of is Jesus is in the boat, sound asleep, and he gets woken up by his disciples, who are fishermen, who spend their entire lives on the water, and there is a storm so fearful that they are sure they're going to drown. So they wake up their teacher to say, don't you care about us? Why are you sleeping when we are in danger? And so that, that's the first great story. And of course we know that Jesus then stands up and calms the storm. The second great storm story happens in the same situation. You think that they would have learnt, but uh, disciples weren't particularly smart. And that's great because that gives us hope because we often need to learn the same lesson again and again and again. So the second one, it's just the disciples in the boat. Another storm comes through. The waves are big. These are fishermen that have spent their whole life in the sea. Probably their whole life on this sea. And then the storms come through and of course we see Jesus walking through the waves. It's another cool storm story in the Bible. And then we get the third one. So the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now, that that sounds like a pretty good storm, but when you stop and actually start to pick that apart, you realise how great this storm was. So, the storm was so violent that the ship was starting to break. Now, I've been in, I, when I was a child, I was on the ferries heading back from Manly, right after a big storm, and as a young kid, I thought this was it. Like, it was terrifying. As an adult, I now look at it and go, I've probably been on rougher roller coasters than that ship. I was still totally safe. But this this storm is so big that it is starting to break the ship apart. So what do the sailors do? Now, these sailors are used to spending their lives in open seas. Travelling, if you have a look back, travelling from Joppa to Tavish, right? They're used to going right across that sea. And they are so afraid that they are sure they're going to die. Like, that is a big storm. They're so sure that they're going to die that their livelihood goes out the window. You know, these guys are sailors. They probably don't make a lot of money. The only thing they make money on is taking the cargo safely from point A to point B. So what do they do? They throw the cargo overboard. That cargo is all all of a sudden not very important because their lives are on the line here. This is a big storm. And the beautiful thing about this storm is this storm is all for Jonah's benefit. This is how much God wants to use him. This is how much God wants to use you. He is willing to send a storm that is so big it will frighten everyone around you because he has a calling for you. And the choice is still there. So Jonah is, um, Jonah is given an opportunity there. He can either lie about the storm or he can own up and say it's his storm and, and we'll find out he does. But God likes to use storms a lot. There's another famous storm that we don't read about in the Bible that changed the life of a man. Now, I don't know how many of you guys know who this is. Is there anyone who, anyone particularly under the age of like 50 that knows who it is? Oh, <laughs> Anyone that's not school that knows who it is. No? He is dead. This is John Newton. John Newton is famous for two reasons. The first reason he is famous for is not something you want carved on your tombstone. John Newton was a famous slave trader. He used to go to ports and they, he would collect people that had been kidnapped, that had been sold, that were thought of as second class citizens third-class citizens, or just not citizens at all, that they were just so unimportant that you could sell them like a piece of property. And he made his living like that. And one day God said, no, I have a plan and a purpose for you. And so he sent a storm. He sent a storm so fierce that John Newton and all his cohorts on that ship that were used to travelling in these waters thought they were going to die. He's starting to sound a little bit familiar. Because God had a purpose for him. And so what do we now celebrate John Newton for? Because he abolished slave tradery. And he wrote Amazing Grace. We now see him as someone who was foundational in a a lot of what we do as Christians. He fought to become a clergyman in the Anglican Church. And he fought to stop slave trading. And he he wrote some of the hymns that are still most well known today. Praising God for everything that he's done. God will send a storm to wake you up. But the choice with the storm falls on you. Are you going to be someone who is a victim when that storm hits? And you curl up in a little ball and you go into the fetal position, which might be totally justifiable, but not how God wants you to respond. Do you curl up in the fetal position in the corner and go, woe is me, my life is over? I'm a victim and no one understands. It is not fair. Or are you going to stand up and go, no, I'm a victor. God is teaching me something here. What do I need to know? I don't know if, how many of you guys were here, but a long time ago we were, we were talking about a similar idea. And the question is, when, God, when something happens in your life, do you face it with a why? Why does this affect me? Why does this always happen to me? Why is my life so hard? No one understands. My life is so hard. Why me? Why, why, why? Or you can stand on the other side of the fence and go, you know what? This situation is terrible. But what am I supposed to be hearing here? Are you going to be a why person? Or are you going to be a what person? Uh, Jonah wasn't particularly smart. He became a bit of a why person. Why... Why is this happening to me? And he he owned up. Oh, we've got to give got to give credit where credit is due. Jonah turned around to the the uh, fisherman after they'd already found out that he was the cause for the storm. But once they'd actually outed him, and they said, Why are uh, why is this happening? And he said, Oh, I'm running away from God. You guys knew that, and my God created these seas, so it's probably my fault. And they said, How do we fix it? And he said, Throw me overboard. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but God wasn't finished yet. They couldn't, because the seas grew even wilder. They cried out to God, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased." Then they took Jonah and and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows to him. And then the famous part we all know. Then the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. There's so much to the story before you hit that. There's so much to this passage before you hit that. So we go back and look at it there's some great points in there that I want to look at first. So Jonah, Jonah owned up, as I said. He said, you know what, actually, yeah, this is my God, because my God is the king of everything. Now, the Tavish people, the Tavish town, was the furthest known point that knew about God. So they knew that the God of the universe had created everything. They knew that this Lord was capable of that. And God used Jonah's disobedience to bring glory for his kingdom. So what did the guys do? As soon as they threw Jonah over and they realised that calm the storm, They worshipped God. How cool is that? That they've now gone, wow, okay, you know what, this God is great. Even though Jonah has messed up, they're still able to go, his God is great. So God will use even our mess ups for his glory. But how does that react for us when we're talking about us being Jonah? God is going to send our worst nightmares at times because that's what we're going to need. So if you don't listen in that storm, if you're still sitting in a white position after that storm, hold on because the storm's probably about to get bigger. God loves you enough that he's not going to stop where it is. He knows how much you can take, and he's going to take you the whole way. But he wants to hear from you. He wants you to do what he's called you to. And so Jonah is thrown into the belly of the fish. And the beautiful thing about Jonah is that the story keeps going. And if you haven't read the book of Jonah, I recommend you do, because my favourite part of the whole book of Jonah is the last chapter. And you have to wait four weeks to hear that. I don't like spoilers. Uh, I've waited three years to find out how The Hobbit ends, because I never read the book, so I'm not going to spoil four weeks' worth of waiting for you guys to hear about Jonah. But I do want you to have a bit of a think tonight as as we bring this to a close. We've just talked about the whole chapter of Jonah. As I said, you go home and read it because there is a lot in there that we can't cover all at once. There's a couple of thoughts that I want you guys to take out. Where are you in your journey right now? Is God asking you to do something and you're too afraid because you've just seen what's going to happen? Probably the best thing to do is go, okay, God, if you really want me to do this, I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out in faith and he will bless your faithfulness. He really will. Uh, but if you are busy running away, that's okay too. That's a, that's a stage of life and we've all done it. Uh, but if you are getting onto that ship, I want to question you now, why? What is it that you're so afraid of that you think, number one, that God isn't greater and he's not going to protect you? And number two, that you go, it's actually worth taking my life in my own hands because I'm going to try and flee from God and he's not there. He's always going to find you. He's holding the whole universe in his hand, therefore running from him on this planet probably isn't going to be very successful. Uh, Are you in the current position of battling a storm? Now, maybe that storm isn't your fault. Maybe that storm is circumstances around you. But then my question to you is, how are you treating that storm? Are you saying, I'm a victim and I'm curling up in the fetal position until someone realises how terrible my life is? Or are you going to stand up and go, no, God, you've created me to be a victor. And I'm going to listen to what you want me to learn. That doesn't mean that the situation goes away. It doesn't mean that it's over. But it means that you are willing to learn what God wants you to. And that's important. Or finally, are you sinking beneath the waves? And if you are, maybe you just need someone to, to pray with you tonight. Maybe you just need someone to help reach you up. Maybe in that time I still challenge you to go, God... What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to hear from you? But maybe you do just need someone to reach down and pray with you and you'll have an opportunity for that later tonight or if you just want to meet with someone that's, that's here and you feel safe with, just grab them and go, I'm sinking and I don't know how to deal with this now. Meet with them and ask you to pray. But the beauty is, as I said, God's message will meet you. As I started, God's message will meet you everywhere, regardless of what stage of life you're at. And this particular chapter, we just talked about four big stages that you could be in your life. And God's message is the same in every stage. He is saying that I will be there for you. Uh, Psalms 8. Uh, sorry, that should be Psalm 139, not Psalm 8. But that makes it really, really clear. God will be there with you. That you can trust in him. God is not going to let you down and that He is never going to leave your side. Despite what you're going in, He is there. You can trust Him because He will never leave your side. So I'd like to pray with you guys tonight. God, we thank You that despite what storms You've put in our life, that You will always be there. We thank You that we can trust in You, and the reason we face storms in our life is because You called us. We thank You that You have called every single one of us for a plan and for a purpose, Lord and that you want your message of hope to reach the people that don't yet know it, despite how hard that may be for us. And during that all, Lord, I thank you that you have chosen us, that you've used in us you've used us as people who make mistakes and who do run from your plan, but yet you still love us enough to call us back. So I pray tonight that you will come in and that you will fill this church with your spirit, Lord, that you will provide people with the calling and direction that you have for them, and that anyone who needs... That, that opportunity to meet with a fellow brother or sister tonight, Lord, that they will have that opportunity, they'll have that strength and that courage to come forward, Lord, and we will just be able to encourage and uplift and pray for each other tonight. In your name, amen.